Welcome to a podcast on fire on rich and famous and once upon a time a hero in China. And Alan Tam Crapping starts now. Or does it? As we take a look at, because it could go either way, as we take a look at part one of Taylor Wong's gangster saga Rich and Famous, which was followed by Tragic Hero, that stars a lot of people and relies relatively little on Alan Tam, actually, but he is in there. Therefore, this is Alan Tam crapping hour, or possibly not crapping hour. You know, we'll judge it harshly or not judge it harshly. That's the point here. And uh, we'll give you a lowdown on whether or not we are on Team Tammy or if we're, we we want to flee Team Tammy this time around. And in the second half, we get the Wong Fei Hung that no one asked for. In the form of Alan Tam. <laughs> Starring in the comedy Once Upon a Time a Hero in China. And uh, it's a quite obscure. It's not like this is uh, something the podcast on fire audience would recognize. But I think me and Phil G of Eastern Film Fans have sort of established this sub-series well enough that we can now sort of bro- uh, branch out to the various obscure ones. This one had a hook for me. Alan Tam as Wong Fei Hong. Okay, I can talk about that. So that's what we're here for. But let's probably introduce Phil G, who's, who's my only sidekick I want and need for the Alan Tam crapping hour. So that's why he's here again. So say hi again, buddy. Hello. Thank you very much. Cheers. Uh, I, I'm, although, to be fair, I think there's probably quite a few people who would love to uh, crap on Alan Tam. But, you know, I, I'm, I'll take that mantle. We're the ambassadors of uh, Alan Tam crapping hour. <laughs> Wonder what Alan Tam feels about that. Alan Tam crap, a guy in Sweden and a guy in you. Let's get him! <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's, uh, we, we've been fair, I think. Yeah, we've right? been fair. Yeah, there have been moments. Like, like last episode, the Dragon Family Casino Raiders one. That was all pretty much praise around all around that one so it was all um all good like we're not immature for the sake of it like how many how many craps out of five do you think this movie was worth <laughs> like thank you phil this is a podcast all right like no we're we're taking it we're taking it seriously it is reviews after all that we're here to do and uh let's get your plugs out of the way first speaking of reviews you are the head honcho of the website eastern film fans and for people who do not know Plug away, and um, what's uh, what, what can people find there? And has there been anything exciting in the, in the autumn to tell listeners about? Not overly. I'm still pushing the uh, Scarlet Cross uh, Agents of Death uh, on the website, which is uh, a Dean Meadows uh, film and stuff, and they're still busying themselves on that. So uh, I'm pushing that, and you can catch up on that on the website. And I, I recently reviewed the, uh, the new Jackie Chan One Dragon Blade, which... Uh, for Jackie Chan, you know, he tried to make it into an epic, and I covered the uh, Hong Kong version, which is uh, slightly longer than the one uh, which will be released. So I don't think they can. Well, they probably will still call it an epic when they chop twenty minutes off it, and it's obviously brought to the UK. And uh, a little bit of thumbs up, thumbs down for it, uh, just in short. Uh, thumbs up, right? On. Yeah. So uh, that's pretty good. So uh, yeah, Eastern Film Fans dot co dot UK, and obviously I'm on Facebook and Twitter for your pleasure. Mm-hmm. And we'll uh, link uh, to all of that in the show post. And as for the rest of the uh, uh, contact information, uh, this is Podcast on Fire on the Pod- Podcast on Fire network. Uh, you'll find all the social media links at the top of the page to uh, in the little buttons at the top of it that uh, symbolizes how you get to our Facebook page, which in turn will lead to the discussion group if you want to join it. And also links to our 
iTunes feed that you can rate uh, you can rate the podcast and you can subscribe to us via that feed and it leads to our Twitter as well so uh, there we are in terms of that and I write about Hong Kong movies including uh, these kind of movies over at SoGoodReviews.com but also other genres such as Category 3 Taiwanese Ninja or Ninja like we, we gotta ed- educate the public Ninja that's like Shokasuji right but Ninja is like Mike Abbott and Richard Harrison those are the Ninjas <laughs> if you didn't know now you know. What's the difference between a ninja and a ninja? So there, there we are. Like uh, the, the best uh, ninjas come out of Cornwall, believe it or not, because <laughs> Mike Abbott is from Cornwall, which is wonderful because he dubbed his own voice sometimes in the IFT movies. So it's wonderful to hear that um, accent in an IFT movie when he's like, I was trying to become the ultimate ninja. The Cornish ninja. And uh, sleazykvideo.com is my uh, video hub for my video reviews. And my Twitter handle is at SoGoodReviews. And uh, as I said, it's uh, rate and subscribe on iTunes stream on Stitcher. Stitcher has an application available on Google Play and the Apple App Store if you wish to access us that way and not download the podcast. So there we are. We go into a commercial break now, a podcast promo break uh, for one of our friends in the podcasting community. So sit tight. And after that, after that. We'll be back to discuss Rich and Famous from 1987. So, first half of Alan Tam Crapping Hour, even though it will run over an hour probably, starts with that movie. So, sit tight and we'll be back. Smithy, you've got to come back with me. Where? Back to the future. Wait a minute. What are you doing, Trev? I need fuel. Go ahead, quick, get in the car. Oh, no, 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 no. I just got a new copy of Evil Dead. And I'm watching that tonight. We'll bring it along. It concerns that too. Wait, 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 wait. What happens to us in the future? No, 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 no. Both you and your Evil Dead collection turn out fine. As your kids, Smith, something's got to be done about our kids. They team up and do their own movie podcast. They hate Evil Dead and Back to the Future. We'll have to show them how a funny and informative podcast is really done. Well, Trev, you better back up. We don't have enough road to get up to 88. Roads? Where we're going, we don't need roads. Listen to Mass Movies at UK. Available every Sunday by iTunes, Stitcher, and all good podcast outlets. Your jacket is not dry. Welcome back. And the first review of this episode is Rich and Famous from 1987, a plot from the Hong Kong digital review of the film. Jung, played by Alex Mann, is caught forging a betting slip, necessitating that his brother Quark, played by Andy Lau, save him from having his little finger cut off in punishment. When further troubles arise, the brothers enlist the aid of Chai, played by Chai and Fat, a powerful opponent of their nemesis, and he smooths things out. The siblings join Chai's gang and are betrayed during an exchange with one of Chai's competitors. Further trouble arises, all trouble here, when a Thai drug baron refuses to continue supplying his Hong Kong underworld clients unless... Chai and Fat's Chai turns over the man's old enemy, played by Magnificent Butcher's Fan Mei Sheng. Jung's big mouth, that is Alex Mann's character, puts him out of favor with Chai, prompting the former 
to accept the contract to murder the dealer of Anna Sheng's character under the latter's protection. So that's like half the movie right there. And uh, let's uh, get your brief take, first of all, Phil, of uh, this uh, movie. We didn't mention Alan Tam, but we will, because he is a supporting character. So uh, for now, what's your brief opinion of Rich and Famous? Yeah, obviously, it's it's the, the prequel to the sequel, which... Um... And I think the sequel uh, works better and it, it was called for and, and leaves it. Um, we'll say no more on that kind of cliffhanger. I think Rich and Family, it, it's okay for it, for its time. It, it's not a better tomorrow, but you can easily see when Chow Yun-Fat's on the screen, like he chews it up. You know, it's his movie. You want to see him. You know, Andy Lowe is playing Andy Lowe as he does with all these things. He's the... No, no, he's playing Quok. It's not Andy Lowe. <laughs> normally, he, normally in movies, he was Andy. Like right, Andy it's, plays it's, Andy. It's Andy. Hey, Andy. It's Andy. Uh, but, you know, he, he, he does it by the numbers, doesn't he? He's, he's the Tom Cruise of the Hong Kong world. But, you know, he's still showing him facts. Maybe you just want to see him shoot guns. That, that's what we're there for. Why is he not shooting more? Chow, shoot more. I, I agree with your points. It, it is okay. It's standard even and certainly a possible gangster drama. But it lacks a punch dramatically and doesn't balance, like, the basic... Like, because there's no basic... Inst- interest in the drama unfortunately it doesn't balance that out with a lot of action like the action comes mainly in the second one i blame director taylor wong for this partly and i will talk about taylor wong in a little bit here i don't blame alan tam who is perhaps the most interesting character in the movie outside of uh, the main core to be honest so there we are let's get that out of the way too team sam or not team tam in terms of rich and famous god it's early to come up with team sam or not team Tam. so early in the day you know, I'm really, I'm so really. Early in the on day, the it's 4 p.m. in Sweden. Oh, I know. God <laughs> damn you! God damn you, Ken! All right, let, let that simmer for a while, and I'll yeah, talk about Taylor it, let Wong. Yeah, maybe, maybe I'll come to a, a conclusion at the end. Not always been the greatest fan of director Taylor Wong. He is a dependable director at this time. He has a classic or two on his resume, including his Shaw Brothers movie Buddha's Palm, which is one of those great uh, colorful fantasy movies. But I guess for me, his lack of breakthrough voice always made me a bit neutral towards his movies, including in Rich and Famous. There's no particular color in his this movie and certain other of his movies, other than in the always solid uh, casting, uh, which certainly helps uh, these two movies in this series to stand out. But, you know, if you bring and execute in a decent, professional manner, that's, of course, not a given in all directors. So he should be, you know, respected for that. But uh, that's uh, I, I prefer out of these two as well, the sequel, Tragic Hero. But that was actually released in cinemas first, which I heard, and I, I can't confirm this, but it was a commercial decision because it did have more action and bigger action. Um, Tragic Hero was released in February in that year and rich and famous got a release in may so that that they, they didn't make it like uh delayed for a year or anything oh that's a bit like uh missing in action wasn't it i think they released two before one was one was crap and then two was better so they released that first yeah i mean if in tragic era you get that wonderful action ending with the grenade launcher and yeah. stuff like that the action is bigger in that one it but uh, like i i think watching them in this order is not uh stupid or anything or silly or anything it's just a, one of those commercials uh, commercial decisions and uh, T- taylor wong just to quote uh, a few movies he directed that like, i i sort of thought was okay i mean uh, spiritual love with chai fat and cherry chung you can never go wrong with that pairing it's okay sentence to hang which was the first category three rated hong kong movie which is uh not due to it being a fuck fest or anything it's just uh, it has uh, a little bit of nudity in it but it's mostly a 
true crime story about the last people who were hung in Hong Kong, hence sentenced to hang. But it was sort of like, yeah, it's okay, it's competent, but it doesn't like break out as such. It was quite a literal remake of the Shaw Brothers movie Kidnap, down to like replicating scenes beat by beat. So it felt a little uh, like it was lacking a voice and stuff like that. But Triad's the inside story. I've, I've not seen it, but I heard that was like, it's okay, but it's, it, yeah. it's somewhat boring, <laughs> you know. Uh, he co-directed No Risk, No Gain, the Casino Raider sequel. So that's, uh, I remember that was colorful. So plenty of solid movies, but never a director that excited me as such. Yeah, it's Saturday night, bitch. I'm going to watch a Taylor Wong movie. Exactly. There's nothing that pops. You go, oh, God, you got to watch a Taylor Wong movie. They're like, yeah, okay. It's, it's kind of that. Yeah, okay. It's Buddha's Palm, essentially, which is a great fun, uh, early 80s Shaw Brothers Wuxia movie with, uh, you know, the pew pew pew, like, uh, energy bolts and uh, all of that. It's uh, all good yeah, fun. Yeah, Alex, man. Yeah. It started in a movie we got among, it's a big cost of veterans and, uh, and young ones, like, uh, Kim to Andy Lau. We get, um, the father of the, um, trio, one being an adopted part of the trio, or the quartet, really. Uh, no, no, it's a trio. Two, two guys and a girl, sorry. Yeah. Uh, and you got uh, an actor like Peter Yang uh, providing veteran, veteran subtlety as this immigrant worker for this extended family of three. You know, a little scene where he carries the rice bags on his uh, on his shoulder, you know, these three heavy rice bags and his children are like clapping him. Yeah, yeah, go dad. And it's good to have an actor like Peter Yang in there to bring that veteran subtlety, uh, which is why it it helps Taylor Wong's otherwise, like, sort of standard direction, to be honest. Uh, he's not in it a lot, but it's one of those, like, good moment, good moment, I like that. You, you're you familiar with that Alex Mann, and you, enough, anyway, where you know that he, he wasn't rare that he played a bad guy, so... <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah, it's kind of, yeah, inevitable, to some extent, that he will turn, but um, he plays it so well, doesn't he? I, you, you do get that, you know. Uh, and, and we'll come on to later scene, but the final scene is probably the, the great. You just get that 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 smile. It ain't over yet. You don't buy it though. Like it's it's sort of a problem, but I like it that you know Alex Man out of this trio is the one that's gonna elevate himself to morally dubious places as we go through the movie. Like he is a sort of bad gambler and tries to hustle his way out of it. So you know he he is a ter- terrific actor, Alex Man, but. His forte was these uh, growling villains. Um, yeah. I, I remember many of the post dubs, whether they were his voice or not, in the various movies like Dragon Fighter and certainly the sequel to this. He was that was part of his dialogue. Growling, I'm over the top. I hate you, Growler. <laughs> yeah, Alex Growler, man. So, uh, Alex Growler, man. But they, you know, you know, it's fine. It, it's sort of uh, you. They follow commercial rules, I suppose, because it was not in the cards, that Andy Lau was going to be the one bad one out of this trio, you know. I, I mean, I mean I, I'm, I'm saying that that's not the audience perception. As a commercial piece, like, you don't, even though you know certain things that are going to happen here, they um, they don't uh, disrupt, uh, like, the scripting here. Like, uh, it's not no, a big, no, big like twist. Say, if, you, if, you, if you didn't know Alex Grr, man, was, you know, <laughs> played that kind of character, you, you wouldn't have perceived that that would be the... Well, it, it, if you're like me, a simpleton, when I when I watch films and I just let them flow over me without giving it too much depth until I'm obviously reviewing films. But nine times out of ten, I just let them flow. I, I don't want to think too far. I don't want to think too deeply. I just want to let the film flow and let what will happen happen and kind of thing. And I think that with Alex, he plays it well because 
if you'd not known about his character history throughout and those characters who he plays, mm. then you're not going to realize that that would happen, in my opinion. Exactly. That's a very good point. It It's also good that this is not painted as a glamorous gangster world as such. Like We get early instances of this is a tough, noble, crap kind of world. They live close to these characters as when uh, Alex Mann you know, is about to have his finger chopped off, he is about to get it chopped off by a character who collects the fingers. <laughs> you know, and also bottles and the formaldehyde. Like, oh, but, but, you know, that's good because it's so easy to make these worlds uh, glamorous and uh, devoid of danger when characters are sitting in luxurious apartments and houses and uh, you don't see anything but you no know, action between them. I think it's good that you get sort of the underbelly view here as well. But let's let's set up Alantam, right? He is sort of the fourth, not part of the family, but he's a friend of uh, the trio. And uh, he's a bit of a nervous fella. He has <laughs> a uh, stammer, uh, and uh, when he gets nervous, he stammers. So otherwise, he's a pretty uh, smooth-talking guy, I suppose. And he sort of sees an opportunity to join the triads as well because his friends have and Quok and the last character brings him on that's it like you gotta you gotta present yourself to the big boss to Chai and uh, that's where Alan Tam fails because he starts to stammer and hello and he says the wrong thing and he sneezes in Chai Fat's face and things like that as over the top as that sounds how how do you think it's played in general how, what do you think of his role in this one you know it's probably good he doesn't get as much screen time in this one and 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 probably because i watched our second review after this before this one i probably uh, had a bit more empathy for him in this one so he could act and again i'm going to come to it and this is why i'm on the fence with alan tam he acts better when he doesn't say anything yes you know Correct. if he does those certain nods or looks and there's times in the movie he does that and you think that's great because you don't have to say anything. As Steve McQueen said, Yul Brynner used to sit there. I'm going off on a tangent. Yul Brynner used to sit there on that, 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 that stagecoach and he'd be delivering his line. And Steve McQueen used to play with his hat and all this and it used to aggravate Yul Brynner. And, and Steve McQueen was brilliant at it because it could never outact Yul Brynner. Yeah. But he just did those little things. And Allentown can do the same thing. He doesn't need to say anything. In fact, he just basically doesn't say a lot. And, and, he, can, and he can act. But when he starts to open his mouth and starts to you know, try and act with the whole stammer thing and everything else. It doesn't quite work. I know that's the character, and that's what you said. But, you know, it doesn't quite work for me. Fair point. I think um, it would have been a little bit over the top had this been the main character. Yeah. If we, if we had, a, like, a barrage of, you know, situations where he does stammer and sneeze, situations where when he does send and stuff like that. Uh, so, so I think for the... Um, relatively little screen time it is a supporting role right so if, if he were to be nominated it would be for best supporting performance you do feel a decent amount of empathy to him when he is sort of kindly rejected by chai in fact who says you don't have what it takes to make it in this world because he fails at the debt collecting which i, I, I when he tries to act tough i think that's a, a good little moment when he yeah. you know goes into a little cafeteria like listen you you owe money like that is how convincing he is like it, that would be my take on it you owe money give money like <laughs> i'm not i'm that tough 
you know. <laughs> so I I think uh, for for the sparse screen time it, it it does work, but there are bigger moments, especially towards the end, that um, you you wish could have been reeled in because we know and kind of adore when he is reeled in. Um, the 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 second movie is a full on comedy, which it's interesting to take a look at that because nothing is reeled in in uh, when he plays yeah. Wong Fei Hung, of course. But uh, it's a uh, I, I find it okay. Like, there's an arc here to Alan Tam's mm. character, obviously. Um, a re- it's a little bit of a redemption story. He isn't in the sequel. Make of that what you will. And, uh, I don't think anyway. I mean, uh, not, I know he's not supposed to be in the sequel, but I don't know if they shot flashback to new footage, but whatever. So that's that. But uh, everybody looks great here. Some are in transition to iconic status of young ones. Some are naturally icon- iconic. Anyway, and some are veteran actors, you know, elder veteran actors. So Taylor Wong establishes, you know, a, a good palette here of uh, veteran actors and stuff like that on the theme of it's wise to show that this world is a nasty one. You know, the scene where Pauline Wong is stabbed at the whole during the whole kidnapping situation. Yeah. Pretty gnarly violence, dude. I mean, there there goes all the fun of like, yeah, like, like, like there's no fun, heroic, slow motion bloodshed here. It's just a poor girl getting stabbed in the stomach and that she died she doesn't die but that's um that's sold by the, the department who put together that violence and that's it and, they, and it does it builds up that way because you get kind of comical kind of all you could say was kind of a, a, a benny hill uh kind of chases with kind of organ music playing and then you get uh and then you get the brutality like you say the stabbing and it's like you know you're kind of in that oh okay this is this is a bit what and then all of a sudden smash yeah. you know it hits you with that you know that action or that brutality or whatever it may be and that that elevates this from kind of the run in the melter it's it's you know okay kind of movie but he does do that well it just brings that in and those those gut punches as you will in the storyline that that elevates it furthermore i mean if we mention slightly characters here you know andy Lau's cock is more sympathetic towards alan tan's flight you know the failed initiation and all of that and alex Mann, as we said it's a very we know he's going to go places of evil here but uh, it's basically character traits set up here i mean quark is sympathetic alan man is already above yeah. the, a character like alan tams uh, and we should really name it i mean uh, I'm, I'm not that we need to remember remember this but we said quark we said jung and the name of alan tams character is muck king hong that's the one because he kind of, kind of like he introduces himself a lot of times. He trains in the mirror, like "Hello, Chai, I'm Macking Hung. Uh, you're a great brother." No, no, no. I mean, uh, like, like he says, he can't say the proper thing. He can't keep it simple. The character by just saying like, uh, "Greet him" in a respectful way. He needs to work up a script, which is his uh, sort of <laughs> undoing, I suppose. But but giant fat boss is not this. Who's this guy? Like fuck him. Like he's calm and kind, and just says, "You're not made out for this." And drives away and that's uh, uh you know it's it's a it's a fine fair character trait i suppose um yeah. he's not this ruthless gangster just because he's a gangster giant fat could play ruthless and all of that but i don't think to be really honest phil if we think about giant fat's trajectory i don't think he would think it would be wise to play um, an appalling main character i i always heard that he didn't like full contact because of that He's great in full contact, but he wasn't like quite on board with the fact that that guy is so bad. I mean, they're all so vicious and appalling and heinous. So if I were to speak for Chai Fat for a little bit, 
I think he preferred to have a little bit of honor and heart, good heart in his characters, despite being gangsters. But yeah, I can see where you come from. I mean, it was those Werner films, wasn't it? You know, after a better tomorrow, but he, well, what we did, I don't know about the, the Hong Kong public, but we just expected the, the trench coat and the guns to come out and, and play those kind of characters, I guess. You know, he fits that model that he wasn't going to be this nasty gangster and he's got this, you know, a lovable rogue, as it were. Yeah, yeah, you didn't see a mixture of roles of that and the role in Scared Stiff, if you remember Scared Stiff, where he plays this uh, murderous, corrupt cop. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which is fun. It's such an amazing performance. But he is evil giant fat in that one. Really evil. One of my favorite Hong Kong movies of all time. Scared stiff. It starts one way, ends up a completely different way. Like, it's Hong Kong's dreamscape, partly. But, like, it has, a, as with Hong Kong movies, it has a lot more to offer. You remember Dreamscape, right? Like that, that, that Dennis Quaid movie where they sort of went in into dreams and stuff oh, like that. And, uh, God, like, yeah. uh, Max von Sydow, I think, was in it as well. But hey, let's, let's talk action. Yeah. It takes a while, a good 40 minutes before you get any kind of shooting. And it's during the whole Macau section, uh, section mm-hmm. where this deal goes wrong, where, uh, Alex Mann's young is a bit mouthy and, uh, it all leads to, um, the first sign of uh, shooting here. On its own merits, are we looking at classic heroic bloodshed cinema here? Uh, no, I mean it's run of the mill. It, it, it serves a purpose. Uh, it's okay. It's the usual, you know, get shot five times but still manage to survive and you know get up and walk around that kind of stuff. There's moments, you know, uh, I think Shing Fu Hoi on is usually he's, he's around. You know, he's looking good. Like I say, it didn't go. Oh yeah, that that standout. It was just you know, it's a, it's a shooter. It was it was okay, but nothing overly memorable about it. I agree. I mean, I I had this experience the first time I watched it on VHS many years ago. I I didn't buy. It. I think I got it as a Christmas present from my parents. Uh, uh, the rich and famous UK VHS buy, made in Hong Kong, and I was all into the exaggerated John Woo style of heroic mm. bloodshed and this one kind of back then even I, I felt the same as I do now it's a bit flat it's, it's a bit flat indeed yeah. I mean it starts great like it's nice like suppressed gun violence the whole it all starts with literally a suppressor shooting the head of uh, one of Xing uh, Fion's yeah. uh, men that, that whole and you see the blood spurt out of the head and all of that like that like a gory headshot like that starts out the scene, quiet, uh, and it's actually Bruce Lung who is the listed action director here from Kung Fu Hustle and uh, obviously Kung Fu Play. You know, the era for that was this. The era for this, uh, Heroic Bloodshed, this was the era, of course, and uh, not everybody did it just like John Woo. Uh, some people, like Ringo Lam, preferred it to be more, you know, suppressed and uh, realistic and gritty. This one, you know, has giant fat, you know, bursting onto the the whole scene in a van with dual Lucy's. And I gotta tell you, Phil, I mean, it's it's okay, it's okay, but <laughs> I I you exactly. you you'd want that to be a bit more rousing. Yeah, that, that's it exactly. It's exactly what I said. It's kind of it kind of falls flat. You just giant fat bursting scene, Uzi's. You just want it to be a bit, fuck it, mate. Just throw some doves in, right, and be done with it. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And get some slow mo on the go and just fucking. Treat it like a proper shoot up. It just falls a bit. There's, there's, there's something missing. Do you know what I mean? 
and but not just the doves. I mean, I don't have to have doves in every fight <laughs> just because it's John Woo signature. But there's something missing. He just falls out a little bit flat for some reason. I, I don't know. Maybe it's the way it's directed. I, I just don't know. But like you say, it starts off quite well, but it just doesn't hit the heights. It's like, well, okay, that's that's good. But did I have to wait 40 minutes for that? Is, is there anything better? You know, it's like, it's okay. Mm, exactly. I mean, it's it's uh, what what it's missing. I'm not too sure if it's in the action direction. It, I don't know how close Taylor Wong worked with Bruce Lung, but somehow it just fits into the mold that that it's okay. It's a Taylor Wong movie. It's okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So there it is. And, and and even as much as I like Giant Fat, even he feels a bit muted here. I mean, there, there's some good scenes, and his Giant Fat, of course, he's charismatic. Charismatic enough. Yeah. But there's there's not a whole lot of breakout like celluloid here. I like little moments where he bonds with Andy Lau, who gets shot up and hurt a lot in this movie and survives it all. I mean, <laughs> in that scene, he gets shot twice in the back and survives that, and he's back on his feet in a relatively short while. Just a scratch. I mean, he is a cyborg, so you know you just need to rewire him a little bit. We we should do a count up of how many times Andy Andy Lowe gets shot in movies because he must get shot a hell of a lot. I always see him get shot and stuff. It's and just, hurt, it, and like he's like like a moment of romance, like the whole last oh. twenty minutes. Like he gets this um, container with uh, gas uh, like smashed into the back of his head, and you know he's bleeding into uh, I don't know what you call them, but you know, uh, uh, and he bleeds out of his nose. But he he stands his ground, which is a tradition, I suppose. I mean, just look back at Shaw Brothers movies. Like if someone's intestines were you know cut and uh, bleeding out of them, they just tied like a piece of cloth. Like like T Long t- tied a piece of cloth around his waist and fight for thirty more minutes. So there is that. But but I like the little see where Chan Fat and Andy Lau are sort of sharing a, a lighter moment despite him rehabbing from the gunshot wounds and all of that. So they inject a little bit of characteristics um, mm. in another way, so, sort of not subdued in the best of ways, but sort of subdued and neutral and standard movie. And it, it's okay to to watch, I suppose. But yeah, I, I'll come to my conclusion in a short bit. Uh, but I'll I'll tease you with this: why I enjoy it more like if i'd watch it for the first time now i think i would have more problems with it but uh, there is a nostalgic factor here uh, i suppose going back to alan town he because he, he pops up later in the movie like he has like three or four scenes but you know they run a good you know 15 minutes or whatever yeah, yeah. when he pops up again it's nice to see him confident like he's uh, gotten a career he's gotten a little scooter a cute little scooter. He's got a suit on, and it's uh, it's all good. I, I like it. It's sort of endearing to see him confident uh, and all of that. And uh, he's gonna eventually help out. A you little sucker! Bit. You sucker! You fell for the character. You sucker! I, I'm sort of on. I'm, I'm on Team Tam for this one. He does a respectable job. Like yeah, uh, it's it's impossible to hate. You know, there's nothing hate to hate here. I mean hate is reserved for pantyhose hero and stuff like that you know <laughs> him and the movie <laughs> so but we, we we don't need to go through that again i know what you're saying so yeah you are you are you are persuading me because i am sitting on the little bit on the fence here with alan some in this movie and i said by the end of it I'll, I'll come up with it i'm not quite there yet yeah but it is impossible to hate him in this movie but but you know the whole like there's no shocking true shocking moments when Taylor Wong does portray shocking moments the whole Alex uh, Alex Mann kills off Fan Mei Sheng's character betrays it all and goes rogue you know mm. and uh, the whole build up and the whole execution of violence when you normally say it's okay it's, it's pretty good not bad when yeah. it's Taylor Wong okay I don't it's sort of like 
I guess. <laughs> You're sort of like, <laughs> I suppose it's okay when he's like, uh, chokes, um, Fan Mei Sheng while he's uh, peeing into his little cup and what have you, and there's pee all over the place and stuff like that. But that yeah. scene isn't as horrible as the concept is, you know, and as chilling as it really is supposed to be, I think. Uh, it, 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 the whole car- the whole conflicts between different gangs and the inside conflict between the Andy Lau, Alex Mann, even Pauline, uh, Pauline one character who is less in the movie as the movie goes on. It isn't very felt. And here, and here comes the major flaw of the movie. It sort of rushes through a romance just to get a red wedding towards the end. Yeah, there's a whole walks in rain, puppy dogs wedding thing going on. Which, and boom, yeah. he's, um, he's romantically involved with Karina Lau. Mm. Like that, that was quick. I, I thought that was really sloppy because we barely get to see Karina Lau in the movie, two, three scenes later, they found a puppy, and boom, we gotta get married now. We got a puppy. <laughs> yeah. Walks in the rain, find a puppy, gotta get married. That's just the way it works for women, apparently. And Paulie Wong is apparently a little bit in love in Chai, with Chai and Fats Chai, but that, I think, was pretty bad, to be honest. Uh, the, the transition from into and then to the wedding and all of that. So, um, and, uh, you know, I'm a sucker for good romance. That wasn't good romance. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a sucker for good romance. I, I do find myself nodding off of that. He's like, okay, yeah, rain, puffy dogs, Reddit, yeah, okay. I'm a dog guy. It wasn't the dog's fault, but... <laughs> no, I don't, well, I don't know. I blame the dog, really. If the dog wasn't there, when they got married, that's 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 it. You know? If they found a cat, that would find ways to blame the cats. I mean, we, we can spoil it by saying that there is a big, like, shootout at the, at the, um, at the wedding, and the, the, the better entry into action is here when it all starts off. I mean, it's a great shot with Ching Fuyan throwing himself in front of bullets mm. and things like that. I don't yeah. know if he lived through that moment or not. We have to watch the sequel. I don't remember if Ching Fuyan was in the sequel. Even if his character dies, there's a good chance that Ching Fuyan could be in the sequel as well, as a different character playing uh, instead a nemesis of Chiang Fats. <laughs> you remember Better Tomorrow? He dies in Better Tomorrow. He's back in a Better Tomorrow 2 as, as a different character. Exactly. And it's Ching Fuyan. I don't care. He can, he can play anything. He's, he's fantastic. I love him. Yeah, but uh, you know, any notes on the um, whole uh, wedding shootout? Does this represent like cool heroic bloodshed celluloid? Uh, no, I wouldn't go that far. I mean, it, it's it's categorized in that vein, uh, and therefore, you know, it will be part of that. But um, it certainly won't be a classic um, by any means. Um, Tragic Hero might be different, but violent wise, it is better. Yeah, I mean, like I say, it's it, it's decent. It's it's okay, you know. If you if you like Cho Yun Fat and Andy Lau, um, as I do, you know, I will happily have it on my shelf and happily um, get it out and watch it once every five years. But you know, it wouldn't draw me. There'd be um, uh, you know other films that I'd rather watch constantly. But you know what? It's it's okay. It, it's part of that genre, heroic butcher genre. But you know, it doesn't elevate anything from you know. That's been done before. I agree. I agree. It's a, it has a little bit of nostalgia comfort for me, but as I said, I didn't thoroughly love it when I first saw it. Uh, but but it's part of my early Hong Kong cinema fandom where heroic bloodshed was all that I was after. And, and that era in general, whether it's different genres or this genre, could provide standard but very watchable, watchable, comforting genre efforts. It may not make a huge impact, but. It doesn't hurt to watch this every yeah. now and again. I, I agree. Like, um, if I want, I don't need it to watch the series. Like, I, I'd happily watch Tragic Hero on its own and yeah. uh, 
because it, the events of this one is sort of recapped in the second one and stuff like that. But uh, I do, I do think they should watch Richard Famous Face. It just because it said to, I mean, I, I did like say the end scene with Alex Mann at the end and stuff, and they're just that smack. You're like, oh, you bastard! I want to see what I. It says to you, I want to see the next film. So watching it that way around just just seems, you know, you should like I say. There's, there's no reason why you couldn't do it the other way around, but I just think it does set it up quite nicely. You just go, well, okay, well, I want to see what happens. What's what's going on? He's turned into, you know, a bastard. Let's find out. Take the next part of that series by doing that. But um, don't be put off by which man going, oh, is that it? Oh, I don't know, we're a tragic hero. If you're that bothered, just watch Tragic Hero. I agree. I would watch this first for story purposes. It's not like Tragic Hero really gets you like, oh my God, I want to see how, why he turned evil. Like, yeah, exactly. So, yeah. so, I mean, it's one of those cases where it wasn't meant to be no. Tragic Hero first anyway. So um, there it is. Uh, so, uh, yep, I don't have any other notes. Uh, want to share anything else, sir? Uh, no, 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 I suppose um, I'm going to, I'm going to, I've made up my mind. I'm on Alan Tam for this one. He's not in it that much. He can act when he doesn't act. So I'm Alan Tam for this one. Thank you very much. That's a good quote. He can act when he doesn't act. Phil, Phil G, Eastern film fans, everybody. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you heard it here first. <laughs> So there it is. As for availability, it's been well represented on DVD throughout the years, with uh, Tai Seng having one of its earlier representations on um, uh, re- uh, representing the movie uh, and its sequel on DVD early on. Unfortunately, not um, English dubbed on that one. They didn't locate the track for that. I'm not too sure we export dubs of the same lengths as the Hong Kong counterparts, but uh, regardless, uh, Maya presented a remastered version on DVD, and now Vicol or Vicol has put out a good-looking and sounding Blu-ray of Rich and Famous and Tragic Hero, which is also coded Region A, B, C to boot, which means you can watch it in the UK, I can watch it in Sweden without, um, even if you have a locked player, so to say. If you have a PS3 that you bought in Europe, you can still watch this Hong Kong disc. And uh, as I said, it's good-looking and sounding. For once, some vintage Hong Kong movies are actually HD on Blu-ray in Hong Kong, and it's not Fortune Star bogus upscales for once. I mean, they're they're not even involved in this. I think this ultimately came from Maya, and uh, it hasn't changed to Fortune Star. Uh, Michael also did the sequel, as I said, for Blue. You might have to search for that under the title export title, I believe, Black Vengeance. Uh, it's that on the uh, the Blu-ray cover as well, but it is the Hong Kong version, and it might even in the movie be uh, in terms of the uh, title card be Tragic Hero. So it's uh, one of those, like, why Black Vent? Well, it is what it is now. <laughs> so I, I even think that Maya DVD of Tragic Hero was Tragic Hero, so I don't know what Michael, what angle they were coming from in terms of that. But it's out there, it looks good and sounds good. It is actually 5.1 remixed, but it has no, like, added sounds or anything like that. So pick it up if you're interested. Mm-hmm. All righty, let's uh, take a break. And I, I, I guess if... um. We're doing Once Upon a Time, A Hero in China for the next episode. And I guess if we were to sort of segue into it and sort of set you up what it's like, it's a Wong Fei Hong movie and you could sort of set it up by humming the theme but adding the following. So I guess it's, it should be like... Because it doesn't take it so seriously at all. Like it's a lot of those things. We'll talk of Once Upon a Time here in China. Alan Tam as Wong Fei Hong coming at you from 1992. So sit tight and we'll be back. 
The following message is a paid advertisement for The Cult of Muscle podcast. The Cult of Muscle. You're either in it or you're dead. It's the dawning of a new age. The halls of Valhalla have been shuttered. The heroes of yore have either retreated to the shadows or taken to capering for the amusement of the small folk. Their past glory is a distant memory. The barbells have been torn from their once puma-strong grips. The beards shone from their square jaws, only to be transplanted onto flannel-clad, puny weaklings with fingers barely powerful enough to strum a ukulele. The time has come, my brothers, to restore order from the chaos. No longer will our heroes be forgotten. No longer will their great deeds be viewed through a foggy lens of irony. Hear now our rallying cry as we scream it from the mountaintops, as we bellow it from iTunes and Libsyn and Facebook. It's time to join the cult, my brothers. So don your cloaks and enter the cult of muscle. Welcome back in the second review of the Alan Tam Crafting Hour or Alan Tam 80 minutes of stuff. It's Once Upon a Time, A Hero in China from 1992. And the plot submitted by Oliver Chu on Internet Movie Database goes as follows. A spoof of the legendary martial arts icon Wong Fei Hung. This action comedy finds Fei Hung, played by Alan Tam, being challenged to duels by the crafty Ken Shek, played by Tony Lung Gafai. Boy, is he played by Tony Lung Gafai. Not talking <laughs> subdued here. However, Fei Hung is actually a cook and has not mastered any martial arts uh, skills and therefore he relies on his disciples. Porky Wing, played by Eric Tsang, of course. Uh, Long Fun played by Simon Yam, was played by Yun Piu in Once Upon a Time in China, and so the stuttering so character, played by the usual Stephen Chow cohort Man Tat. He relies on him to train him. Meanwhile, Ken Chek has pur- purchased opium from shady businessman Indiana Jones, played by Paul Fonoroff, and plans to rule the ta- town with the profits he gained from selling the drug. Like, that's like a Wong Jing joke. Like, call him Indiana Jones! That's funny, isn't it? <laughs> like, like, Wong Jing at his worst normally just puts stuff in there. Like, I like City Hunter, but naming Richard Norton's character like McDonald. Like you're okay, I guess. Wit. There we are. Let me take the rain first and share my brief opinion. It takes a while to find its groove, and some of the performer banter is weak. But uh, this is overall very amusing and even a very funny spoof of uh, the Wong Fei Hong movie. And Tammy brings eventually the right spirit and energy playing a hero that's a fraud. I think I like him in this one. So it's not a kung fu action movie per se, which is a sort of a, what you like. So um, what? Therefore, what's uh, your short opinion of Once Upon a Time a Hero in China? Crap. Yeah, it's it's not really my kind of movie. I, I fully take on board because I I'm a bit of an action guru, and I have my moments. I do have my moments of comedic uh, and the rest, but it just didn't really float my boat. I have to say. Are you are you even a fan of the um, Stephen Chow brand of comedy? Because this is is sort of that brand of comedy without exactly. Stephen Chow. Exactly, and I'm not a huge fan. Oh, I know I said it. I'm sorry, kids. I'm sorry, kids. That's just the way it is. <clears throat> I, I'm just, I suppose I'm just a miserable bastard when it comes to comedies. If you no, don't say laugh. that. Don't say that. If you don't like something, you don't like something. Sometimes you can find many things funny. I, I know, I'm just justifying it to everybody else, really. That's myself. You know, it was, it was crap. 
just not my bag. It's it's one of those that there are moments, absolutely, but it's definitely one I wouldn't revisit because this this was the first time I'd seen it. To be fair, and I probably stayed away for it for the very reason that I knew I probably wasn't going to like it. Not really my thing. Right on, right on, and that, that's okay. That's okay, and uh, so so is my opinion. It's very much okay. Like we're not here to preach opinions or look down on anyone's opinion, but uh, there it is. Uh, no, normally these discussions are not more rowdy because of it. It's just that I like it, you didn't, and that's okay. But uh, let, let's talk of it anyway. You know, yeah. what we like and didn't like. Uh, let, let's establish the timeline a little bit, though. This came out after Once Upon a Time in China, the Choi Hak movie that represented a big breakthrough for the new wave Kung Fu or waifu uh, genre, if you will. And it also came post Stephen Chow's nonsense comedy break after All for the Winner. I think he might have done Fight Back to School and movies like that, and even one of the God of Gamblers sequels after this point. He's not in it, but clearly we got two train of thoughts here. The Kung Fu and the comedy, and let's bring it all here in a little bit. And director Lee Lik Chi, who uh, actually... <laughs> he, he directed a, a couple of uh, successful Stephen Chow comedies. He possibly sets the tone for viewers uh, in a very ill way or possibly a very great way with the opening because uh, you got the classic Wong Fei Hong music, Wong Fei Hong himself standing by the iconic seaside looking all manly and majestic and then the waves hit Alan Tam and he's got seaweed and stuff in his mouth. So he's one of those like dum 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 <laughs> almost was that a point where Oh no <laughs> for you. Right at the beginning. You know what? That was okay. I mean the iconic music. I mean I, I love that music. It's the ringtone on my, my phone. You are a nerd, bless you, sir. <laughs> I know, yeah, I just swapped that between that and Drunken Master music. But, you know, everybody at work is, oh, it's China calling again. Yes, Dad's hey. phone. Like, everybody knows in the household where. <laughs> but, no, you know what? That that was fine for me. It was like, yeah, okay, that's that's quite a quirky. I, I quite like that. That's that's okay. Yeah, okay, let's see how that goes. And that was it. That It just, just went down from there. I mean, it, you know, it starts off okay. You've got the... The lion dance and, you know, that, that starts off and you think, yeah, okay, it sets the scene, doesn't it? It's a dragon dance akin to, like, Young Master, kind of, where yeah, they set up these exactly. levels. But it is big. The mugging of the actors, it is so over the top. That, that's why it yeah. takes a while for me to sort of see that these performers find a footing. Uh, early on, I like Tony Longafai, fantastic yeah. actor. And yeah. uh, he can do it all. I mean, he's been funny in comedies. But it's one of those, like, are they just asking him to be really big like and mug and uh, be Ken Sheck like you read about? I guess they are, and that's not yeah. necessarily funny per default. So it takes a while for me to sort of respond to that energy. And even the banter between Eric Tsang, Simon Yam. And by the way, hold the presses. Simon Yam might have done a lot of movies. But remember this, Phil. He didn't do a lot of these movies. It's so unusual to see Simon Yam in a period movie of this time. It's shocking. Absolutely, and it was shocking because it was one of those where I don't want to read anything about it. I just want to watch it, and that's what I'll do with the film. I'll just put it on, and I'll research it after and everything else when I'm doing the, for the podcast. But I just want to watch the movie, as I say, let it flow over me. So I put it on, not really knowing. Apart from Alan Tam movie, that's it. 
So then when Simon Yam's there, I'm going, that's Simon, is, that, is that Simon Yam? That's Simon Yam? What's, what's, what's he doing there? It was literally like, ah, what the bloody hell is he doing in it? Because <laughs> I know he's going to be quirky in his comedy. What the hell is he doing there? Yeah. I was like, whoa. So yeah, it was, it was a bit of a surprise. Normally he was, um, you know, modern, a varied genre, varied amount of movies in modern genres, you know, gangster category free and stuff yeah. like that. But uh, fantasy and, uh, and kung fu and stuff like that. It's uh, not uh, usual. It, it's great. I mean, it adds to his um, sort of uh, versatility, which meant that he wasn't good in every movie, but he did a lot of them. So eventually, you know, he's going to be yeah. good in a fair amount of them. <laughs> it, the problem here is also where you don't know, when it sort of sets itself up as, I don't know about this, they're pretty big as performers. You wonder to yourself, is Lilik Chi, the director, you know, bringing the nonsense comedy, Molly Tao, to this and is it straining sans Stephen Chow? It, it it sort of is for half a movie. I mean, I know it can work. There's a great movie called The Top Bet that is a sequel to uh, Stephen Chow's breakthrough movie, All for the Winner. He's in it for two scenes. He did that cameos. But otherwise, it's sans him. But they got a lot of good performers to sell that style of wacky comedy. So it can work. It all depends on the material, the performance, and dedication, blah, blah, blah. But the, for half a movie, I'd say it takes... A while for all performers really to find a rhythm and for Alan Tam to to find a rhythm. But you know what? I, I think it's amusing as a setup though. I just find it amusing that this Wong Feiyong, he doesn't know anything. He likes cooking. He's pretty he's pretty good cook. He likes cooking. He's not the master chef or anything. But he likes cooking. He likes cooking. And when you get behind the closed doors of um, the clinic, Porchi Lam, you reveal the fact that there's no stuttering. So here, Umantati is not stuttering, you know, and uh, they're all, you know, chasing him and uh, lambasting him and bringing Wang Fei Hong down. Like that's the behind closed doors politics, <laughs> so to say. And I don't know. I found that amusing that we we don't see that reversal of the Wang Fei Hong uh, aura. Like when Wang Jing did it all with Lost Hero in China, it was a regular Wang Fei Hong movie only merge with Wong Jin comedy like you still had Jet Li as sort of the stoic Wong Fei Hong mixing uh, witnessing all the madness around him and there's a brothel next door so that's bad and uh, the stuttering soul character has giant buck teeth like like that was you know that wasn't parody and reversal of the Wong Fei Hong uh, aura of atmosphere so you know on paper and when I realized that that was the case like he doesn't know Kung Fu I found out the music, like as a concept, they 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 got me. Uh, um, you know, on paper anyway. You you, you obviously need to uh, execute. Yeah, uh, and to be honest, talking the, the characters in general, I quite enjoyed Tony Lung's like over the top kind of character. It kind of worked for me anyway. So I I was involved in that character. I quite enjoyed him in that character, playing that character. I suppose he was supposed completely diverse from what I've seen him in before. That was different. That was fine because I knew it was going to be a comedy. Just it didn't really drive me to any. I just expected Alan Tam to go from the Wong Fei Hung, oh, you know, I can cook really well, but don't know Kung Fu, to, to be able to do Kung Fu. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? I expected something else to come up to be, and I suppose that's where the action let me down a little bit more because I expected a bit more or something better action-wise to help me get through it. Yeah, I I, I was kind of also expected more of more waifu to mix in with uh, it but what it does have is actually some some cool stuff like you get um a one or two scenes of grounded kung fu 
involving Eric Tsang and Simon Yam to an extent without much doubling, which is kind of cool to see. That's not a usual sight either to see Eric Tsang really involved in the choreography. He was a stuntman or background player rather in the uh, in the seventies. So, but you didn't see him uh, fight on screen normally. He was just a butt of uh, of the of the jokes and in the Lucky Stars movies and stuff like that. So, I I, I enjoyed that. It wasn't just like. Eric Tsang doing a stance, and then two minutes of the stuntman in wires. Like we <laughs> we 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 could see that Eric Tsang uh, was on board with the choreography and uh, matched the sort of beats that we needed. So yeah, kind of kind of like that. But I I I do like Tony Long overall too. It's just that you don't feel confident early on that that mugging is going to get you places. But I, as soon as this sort of when it started to feel amusing to me, then then all performance energy started to work yeah, for me. Like I, I love the little scene where Ken check because he hates Wong Fei Hong. He hates him so much, and he trains on this um, sort of straw uh, dummy filled with uh, straw and whatever. And he starts like chop the dummy's arms off and like pokes its eyes out, and you know sets it on fire. I think at one point, yeah. so like it's <laughs> hatred for Wong Fei Hong. Check, we get yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, we get it. We definitely get that. Yeah. <laughs> And they even have a little uh, pre-finale um, confrontation, and uh, and this is the level we're operating at, the viewers. Uh, they have a little pee off. Yeah, see, I enjoyed that scene. Yeah, pissing contest. That was great. That was that was quite comical. I'm I'm, I'm down with that toilet humor. I, I quite. Enjoyed I am too. I am too. Yeah, I'm 36 years good. old. I'm down with the toilet humor. That's it. Split in the river. Mm, look what I can do. Uh, yeah, look what I can do. Oh, that was quite good. It worked for me. Like I said, there, there were pockets in the movie that yes. I enjoyed. Absolutely, uh, and I, I quite enjoyed that because you know that's that's my gutter um, sense of humour coming out there. So I, I enjoyed that, but and it was funny, and it, you know that that worked. So there were there were pockets to enjoy for me. And, and yeah, I agree. Even when I dislike a movie, I can find little moments that work on an individual basis. I mean, the whole pissing contest is them being you know like guys do i've heard this uh that guys do this like they uh <laughs> i don't know much about uh, how it goes what goes on on the outside but i heard blo- <laughs> blokes do this like they uh challenge each other's dreams and in the case of this one ken Shek and wong fei hong they one try like ken Shek tries to push the stream really hard like look at my mighty stream and then wong fei hong like has a double kind of urine stream going on all while the dum, 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 dum is playing. So, you know, like uh, the gutter type of humor check. And, uh, you know, at that point, you need to sell that via the performance as well. For them, it's not like the cutaways to the fake urination is what sells it only. Like, uh, And you have Tony Long just going for it here. <laughs> you know? So that 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 certainly works. And Alan Tam is, I here is big. He is obviously big here, and uh, therefore he's not quiet at all in the movie. Um, but uh, I see a side of him where he allows himself to be. He's not afraid to be sort of underdog or the butt of jokes. Um, and a more insecure actor would perhaps not take in a role where he's not heroic. He can take a joke or two, I suppose. Like even guys like Michael Wong which I like, many people don't, have done a movie or two where they're making fun of him constantly and he's super on board with that. And that shows like awareness of, uh, you know, he can take a joke because that, that's all there is. They're jokes. They're not, uh, it's not bullying or anything. They're not like... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes, let's make a movie where we bully Alan Tam. Right, that's, there's a go. 
Uh, let's get Mike Leader on the case. So I've got an idea for a film. What do you want to do? Want a film where we bully Alan Tam? What do you mean? Just constantly bully him. Just bully him till he cries. Till he cries on screen, goddammit. Just listen to the podcast. We've already written the script yeah. that really are about how to bully <laughs> listen him. Listen to that before I did be crying buckets. No, we love you, really. But uh, further more toilet humor, uh, uh, when uh, we get uh, Aunt, Aunt Yi, which is uh, Wong Fei Hong's 13th aunt, so it's not really blood relative, blood relation going on here. And that's why that character in Once Upon a Time in China, the Rosamund Kwan character, um, she plays the 13th aunt. That's why they can have a romance eventually. And that's sort of what happens here. She comes back, played by Teresa Moe, who I'm quite a big fan of Teresa Moe as a comedic actress. She's in Hard Boiled, uh, the Chinese fat love interest, uh, which is not a comedic role, but she's, uh, she's in there and get a few good moments uh, of uh, gunplay in that one. But I love that. Again, I'm 36 years old and <laughs> they haven't seen each other for a while, right? So she comes in there in at the Port Chilam and she sees uh, the cook, I suppose. I, don't, I think he yep. cooked at that scene. And he, she starts to sort of chase him around and crap like that. And she doesn't recognize him. But do you remember, Phil, what was the character trait that made her recognize that? Ah, you are Wong Fei Hong. Oh, yeah, because now she goes through the characters, doesn't she? And it wasn't Wong Fei Hong. What was it? I can't remember what it was now. Well, he, he fought when he's scared. Oh, that was it, farts. And says, oh, it's you, I remember. You fought it when, when you, when you were scared when we were young. How are you? <laughs> <laughs> so there, and she needs to marry Wong Fei Hong to solve her economic situation. So it's kind of a, a bit of a scam, I suppose. But they, they, they do a little parody moment from Once Upon a Time in China. There's a scene there where Rosamund Kwan strokes Wong Fei Hong's shadow. I did that deliberately. The, the the strokes get your mind under the gutter. His yep. shadow because it they, they can't touch each other. It's not proper at that point. So and they do it uh, here a little bit too. So there's a tiny little bit of a parody moment uh, here. So. Yeah, obviously then it's obviously Simon Yams at the window, isn't he? Trying to get a crafty look, and he's still trying to you know stroke the shadow. And Simon Yams like, what the hell are you doing? You know, exactly. <laughs> oh, nothing, nothing, nothing. And uh, I, I like little things like uh, Wong Fei Hong finally um, getting a chance to take out some of his frustrations onto his so-called disciples at one point, because uh, Aunt Yi doesn't know, I think, that he's only the cook. So there is him like playing Wong Fei Hong. I'm gonna demonstrate martial arts. He bring, takes this big log and get gets ready to just beat the shit out of Eric Tsang because yeah. of all he's endured. Like, what am I gonna pick up? Oh, here's the log. Like, <laughs> come here, come here. <laughs> Bring it back to all the Team Tammy thing. Mm. Individual scene basis. Is there a comedian in Alan Tam that can be made to work? Or do you think that's stretching uh, his uh, abilities? Comedian or just playing in comedy? Maybe I should yeah, say. I don't know. We scratch the surface. I'd have to try another couple and see if there's anything else out there that he's done. That he's... It didn't tickle my fancy, this. And I, I suppose I'm slightly biased because I love the Wong Fei Hung movies and I love that action, that driven and that, you know, what it's all about. And I know it's a piss take on it. I know it is, but he just, I just couldn't get on board with him playing Wong Fei Hung. And it shouldn't, it shouldn't be that way, but it was just the way it was. Maybe if he played something else, he plays a, you know, I, I don't know. He just didn't work for me personally. That's all. I got you. I respect that. And uh, for, for me, it really turned amusing after a while. I liked his uh, energy that he brought to the table. It's not classic comedic energy, 
certainly not a rival for Stephen Chow, obviously. But uh, it, it, it's good fun. But uh, Yeah, he obviously he can do it. He threw himself into that ball and you can see it. And, you know, he, he looked like he was enjoying it as well. And like I say, in the most pockets and moments that I, that I do enjoy, just, you know, not for me. So, yeah, I think there's, there, there was hope there for him from a comedic perspective. But obviously... Not on the same level as Stephen Chowder. Didn't do it extensively, uh, anyway. I mean, I've not seen every one of his movies, but it didn't seem like, oh, I'm going to do this for a few years now. Uh, I didn't really know of this movie until someone suggested it, whether it was Jay on the group or someone Someone emailed me too, I think, about like, oh, that's a good one. That's like a piss take on this and this. So uh, I like the scene where Ken Shek, uh, sorry, <laughs> you know, the whole opium uh, side plot. Where uh, he acts like he acts like he knows it all, but he's kind of a fool too. So uh, he gets um, some opium from Paul Fonerov's character, and um, Paul Fonerov is a is a well known critic in Hong Kong and uh, has appeared in movies, including in Once Upon a Time in China too. He plays uh, like a British consulate uh, yep. fellow. He was, but he, he, I think he's he, I think he can be funny. He's in Inspector Westcott for the best in that series as well, and he has a, a little comedic. Uh, supporting role in that one but i like to see where he, he gets the opium from paul fornoff and he, he doesn't know what it is and he's been taught by some western girl how to eat bread and uh, when you put butter on bread and what have you so he takes the fucking opium puts that on the bread he, he, he has no idea it's opium but he, he obviously needs to play knowledgeable before my men here i'm king Shek, i know it all and he eats the opium and it's it just goes to hell obviously so uh Tony Long, you know, sold that moment, yeah. I think, very well by just being sort of big and big and uh, big fool. Not classic, but uh, good fun. It might be insensitive, but it's one of those, like, they insist on a joke, and it kind of won me over in the moment. Uh, Simon Yam's character, uh, Lung Fon, has this technique, a uh, kung fu technique, of flicking people's earlobes or ears, and that makes them gay, essentially. <laughs> I mean... Okay, that we're, here we go again. Yeah. <laughs> Get maybe more effeminate, maybe not gay per se, but they certainly act like all of a sudden they're super effeminate and the whole limp-wristed thing and all of that. So, But uh, I got to tell you, I laughed at it because even Wong Fei Hong is uh, asked to use that technique at the end fight. Like, dude, like, do the ear thing. Like, you know, so it's, it's, it is it's is what it is. But uh, I laugh at it now because it's so like Hong Kong cinema insists on so many things. And I don't think it's necessarily cruel at all times. It's not like they're no. beating up gay people here, like in Pantyhose Hero and stuff like that. It's a comedic effect. And that, like I say, the run on and then it's at the end of the movie as well. This is do that. So there's a, there's a comedy that runs through that rather than being anything kind of detrimental for a change. And it's it's a good little concept for the end fight because at that point Wong Fei Hung has not learned kung fu, but he sort of channels his cooking skills because at some points in the movie he starts to like do I don't know if you call them forms or whatever, but he starts like just uh, juggling his cooking uh, cooking utensils and stuff like that, like you would a sword or a knife or a spear or a pole or whatever. Yeah. So he kind of uses that for the end fight, even though he's not all of a sudden this martial arts god or anything. But it's it's one of those things like, yeah, I've not seen that before. I, I, you know, respect for doing something new here. It's not classic comedy or classic choreography, but little good glimpses. Uh, what is, after all, a comedy not focusing on kung fu very much at all, which is fair, but I didn't expect it because even, you know, when Once Upon a Time in China hit, obviously, Phil, you know this, tons of movies in the same vein came out, and they could be very silly comedies, 
then for five minutes, extensive wire-assisted action. Essentially, the director went out, action directors came in. This one sort of treats it all like a comedic affair, and therefore reels in that aspect, which is, was not, it was not disappointing, it was just, uh, I didn't expect it to be that uh, reeled in, to be honest. Uh, yeah, and I suppose that's that was my fault for expecting that, and once you put expectations on something, that and it doesn't happen, then that kind of lowers your your outlook on it, and that that's where it got me. I guess I just expected it to be a wire food fest, you know. I think you would have disliked large parts of it, but like the extensive action beats, mm. like I I don't think it would have gone from crap to like good for you. I, I mean, I mean, I'm being serious. I, I think uh, it it would be something you'd an element you'd maybe remember more if they'd done, yeah, you know, a big martial arts uh, wire assisted ending a la last year in china or once upon a time in china yeah, and stuff like exactly. that so. yeah yeah no no without that it's just like i say it's not my thing it would have helped it would have elevated it somewhat but it would have still not elevated into the good category it would have been, yeah it was okay uh, as it stood it didn't so that was that was my you know preconception of that that obviously that would happen and it didn't so i was a, a little bit disappointed but like i say this pocket's there to enjoy and if you you like that kind of sense of humor the characters are big and brash and bold and they pop out at you so you're going to get some enjoyment from it and undiscovered certainly not a gem for me but for for other people maybe so yeah i, I wouldn't argue gem either but uh, uh amusing i lean on and it sort of maintained a nice um sort of flow after one point uh where it's stayed at amusing and uh, that was good enough like uh, it was sort, sort of um, yeah Teen Tammy, I'm sure. I mean, uh, you, you you can't do neutral, Teen Tammy. You gotta be on or you gotta be off. You're on, I'm off. It makes a change. Yeah, we, we don't usually usually we're we're usually more or less on the same mindset, a level below or above each other. But we're probably a a good uh, several yards away on this one. And look at us, we're not fighting about it. But we're not fighting about. It. We're not gonna fight about it, kids. No, we're not. Not today. Not till afterwards, when I'm going to wring his bloody neck. We're going to have a urine, urine stream contest, <laughs> like like men do. We're going to have a Men with big balls, apparently. I don't know. <laughs> uh, I, I, I don't think many people are going to find this movie and seek it out, to be honest. I'm going to spoil one thing here. We get a special appearance by the end by a Wong Fei Hong series regular in the old black and white Wong Fei Hong movies. Uh, Sekin makes an appearance. Uh, Enter the Dragons, Sekin, of course, but he was a constant, uh, I think, villain most of the time, if not all the time, in the old Quanta Hing starring starrer Wong Fei Hong uh, movies. Uh, so uh, Sekin, in one of his last um, feature roles, like uh, he did a couple of in the nineties and stuff like that, but he, um, he obviously as, as he grew older and I think his health uh, sort of declined, he uh, didn't appear in many movies. So this is a uh, like fifth from the bottom of his actor filmography. So you realize it's one of those uh, very late ones. So there you are, Sekin. It was good to see. Yeah. No, I enjoyed that. I enjoyed him pop up. It was like, oh. And then I think there was line, uh, you're the most cunning bastard or something. It was quite amusing. And, uh, <laughs> there we are. <laughs> and he, was, uh, he was on there. He was, yay, look, look, I, I know you. A little bit of love and positivity in the air, and then the movie was over for Phil. So, there we are. <laughs> so, there we are. Uh, as for availability, uh, unfortunately none at this time. It was released by Universe on DVD, but this is now out of print. Um, I don't have the original. I, can, I didn't buy it back in the day, and I couldn't find an imprint or used copies. Then, if you 
found the review interesting and if you want to check it out then do uh, pick it up and uh, if worse comes to worse there is means on the internet such as uh, torrents and even youtube to find them because keeping hong kong cinema alive is not easy no dvds large quantities of them go out of print and don't get new distributors just like that i mean for a while many hong kong movies ended up on dvd nowadays especially catalog titles vintage titles that's more of a rare thing. So don't expect a Once Upon a Time a Hero in China Blu-ray announcement next week. Well, no, and especially when you've got such classic titles that can't get releases. Um, this is probably... Mind you saying that, you never know. Look, they just released Avenging Fist. Really? It's been a while since that was in circulation. Yeah, it's just, that's just come out. I don't know whether it's the Weinsteins again. Um, I was like, bloody hell, who, who thought that was a good idea? Um, <laughs> you know, you've got Pedicab driving the, the Warner Vaults and stuff. Although... Possibly that might get a, a show in now. Obviously, it's, it's on the archives, isn't it, coming out? But um, you've got these, and they put Avenging Fist. What the bloody hell? So it wouldn't surprise me. You never know what would happen, but you're right. They need to keep Hong Kong cinema alive, and these are the kind of movies that, you know, well, not necessarily this one, but we need to keep the word out and, you know, spreading the love, spreading the love. So, yeah, that's why we kind of uh, decided to expand the Alan Tam series to include, you know, the lesser-known uh, items. Uh, but the, the lead-in for discussion for this one, like, was Wong Fei Hong. Uh, Alan Tam as Wong Fei Hong. I don't care. Let, let, let's let's give it a whirl. There it is. And not, uh, you're not one of those viewers, either, Phil, that give me my 90 minutes back, you cunning bastard, Ken. Like, you're not one of those, like... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> no, no, absolutely not, Ken. But when you find out where that letter to review this film, I'm going after them and I'm going after them hard. Mm-hmm. Give me a better film. Come on. There must be some. Give me an Alan, Fam- Alan Tam film that I am going to absolutely love and say he is the greatest actor on this earth. I challenge anybody to give me that film. Well, and Ken would like to see that film as well, no doubt. But go on. I dare you. Give me something that you say is rated. The best Alan Tam film ever. I want to hear it. Maybe someone will respond with the sequel to this. They made a sequel to it, Phil. God damn you. It was Why a successful. And the sequel is called Master Wong versus Master Wong. Is it? Yep. That's the sequel to this one. They sort of all came back. Uh, not Simon Yan by the looks of it, but they got Anthony Wong in there. And uh, Carol Cheng, apparently, and uh, stuff like that. So there's a, And the se- sequel made a decent amount of money as well. So uh, Didn't know that. Thank you for that, Ken. Let's, let's see what the viewers want. Let's see what the listeners want. Yeah, I mean, there's not a whole lot more to sort of, uh, oh, that stands out like a motherfucker. Let's, like, do that one. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, you know, stuff like Mummy Dearest was, I think, a Ronnie Yu movie. Uh, quite a, I possibly played a killer in there, but in that one. But it was a dark movie, mm. you know, brooding Alan time. And he might be quiet for that one, too. Ooh, so that helps. That sounds good. <laughs> Quiet and brooding. That See, that's my good. kind of thing. Quiet and brooding. <laughs> I like that. That's a quote for the ages. He's quiet in that one. That sounds good. <laughs> I love it. I'm a silent movie fan. <laughs> in the case of Alan Tam. Hey, did he do any silent movies? Maybe we could try that one. Yeah. Let's watch it on mute. He's not talking. Excellent. Five stars. Five stars. Win-win. There it is. Well, uh, we'll uh, see what next we'll pick up next in terms of our Alan Tam coverage. There, there are a fair few movies to pair up, I suppose. So, uh, But we've done a couple of key ones, I think. And uh, sort of the best ones, I think we've covered most of the best ones. But uh, we'll see what happens. Uh, maybe next uh, one is his first movie. Who knows? The 1975's Let's Rock! <laughs> <laughs> and I just have a feeling that was uh, a movie tailored for 
his pop group at the time he was in the winners as you may, may remember so I, I just have a feeling that was a movie for the winners but uh, let's uh, put a pin in this one for now and uh, say goodbye after some quick contact information this has been the alan tam crapping hour it's like it was like half a crap on alan tam uh, <laughs> you know it was not a unified crap on him but uh, half a crap on it hope you like the taste of it Alan Tam. <laughs> but uh, this has been uh, Podcast on Fire on the Podcast on Fire Network. Our website is podcastonfire.com where you'll find all our other shows on Japanese cinema and Taiwanese cinema, Slicy cinema and India cinema and what have you. Follow our links uh, at the top of our page to the various social media such as Facebook, our discussion group on there, our Twitter, our iTunes feed that you can subscribe to and links to our Stitcher page as well. Stitcher is the streaming service available for the podcast and you can stream us via the application available on the Apple app store in google play as well i write about a variety of uh, alan tan movies and adult movies and uh, taiwanese movies over at sogoodreviews.com as well and uh, my video hub is lisakvideo.com and my twitter handle if you want to bother me please do with alan tan questions or not i'm at at sogoodreviews and that's my plugs really quickly your plugs again for reference sake what is the url for eastern film fans yes yeah, so www.easternfilmfans.co.uk and you can find us on the lovely social medias of facebook and twitter allantown crapping is over hope you enjoyed thank you very much and i've been kennedy and with me was phil g so say bye buddy bye bye